0: We have been immersed in diet, speak, diet, language, diet, culture, diet, brain. And we're so punitive so about food. And it's all about being good. You know, if someone offers you a cookie and you say, no, thank you. People immediately say, oh, are you trying to be good? Or I have to be good. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is not about being good. This is about feeling good. You don't even need to have cake on your birthday if it doesn't make you feel well. So you get to say. and. I'm always inviting and encouraging people to distinguish between that diet, those diet thoughts, which are punitive and all about being good and shifting to the idea of making choices and doing things that have me feel my best. And we can say, I'm not choosing to eat that because it makes me feel awful, but go right ahead. Please enjoy.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte. Geriatric physical therapist, weight loss coach, and passionate disease prevention expert. I used to struggle with emotional eating, sugar cravings, and consistency. Then I learned how to lose the mental and physical weight once and for all with a low insulin lifestyle. Each week on the reshape your health podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable step-by-step strategies to help you do the same if you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone. Welcome back to the reshape your health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte. And today we have a special guest with us. Her name is Lori Lewis. I'm going to tell you just a little bit about her before we dive into this interview. She's an intermittent fasting coach and author. And menopause was definitely not easy for her. She suffered from brain fog, a lack of balance, memory loss, and a sudden weight gain of 50 pounds of stubborn hormonal fat. She tried everything that she knew to feel better, and the methods that had worked in the past made no difference. I'm guessing that this is sounding familiar for anyone who's gone through menopause and gained weight. So after four years of struggle, Lori stumbled upon intermittent fasting and started it the same day, the menopausal fog lifted in about one week and she had more energy and she felt more like herself again. She lost 51 pounds in 15 months and has kept it off for years. Now she's 58 and she's turned her personal success into the premier thriving intermittent fasting coaching business that she has today. She's a certified health coach from the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, and she combines her knowledge of nutrition with deep research and practice of time-restricted eating, which is another word for intermittent fasting. Lori guides her clients to really create a healthy, balanced lifestyle that includes foods that they love. And for anyone who really knows me, you know that I love chocolate chip cookies and I'll say I'll have a cookie every week and die at 90 instead of 91 and be just fine with that. So Lori, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Morgan. I love chocolate, homemade chocolate chip cookies too. (laughs) I really do. Chocolate
0: Mm. chip cookies,
1: monster cookies are number one for me. My neighbor, my old neighbor chocolate chip cookie is a strong second or maybe first, I don't know. Anyhow, we're not talking about cookies today. We're talking about intermittent fasting and you. So welcome and tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? How did you get into this crazy space of online education? As we all know, it is a crazy space.
0: It is so much fun. Well, I I felt like a Zoom pioneer. I started leading my group programs on Zoom. This will be my fourth holiday season leading group programs. And I used to have to teach everybody how to use Zoom. (laughs) Which is refreshing to not have to do that anymore. I um, I grew up in the mountains of Colorado, but I always had set my sights on the bright lights of New York City, and oh. uh, so I lived in New York for almost twenty five years, and moved to Portland, Oregon, four four years ago, and so I'm on the West Coast, and I'm I'm loving West Coast living. So I've hit all the all all sides in the middle of the US. And I have had an amazing career, mostly in retail and marketing and branding. And I got my health health coach certification many, many years ago out of a pure passion and interest for nutrition, and never expected to use it. And after the challenges that you outlined in the intro in the introduction, I naturally fell into supporting people in how to eat in an eating window because a bunch of friends cornered me at a wedding uh, three years ago and said, you have to teach us, you have to take our money and teach us over time to be successful with this. And um, so I did that. And now I have a thriving, fun, amazing coaching, practice, specializing in intermittent fasting, and I get to work with people around the world. So I feel really grateful and lucky. Yeah.
1: Isn't it fun to work with people around the world too, because sometimes they say stuff like, Oh, I never thought about that recommendation, not being available in Canada or Dubai. And it's like, let me look into that for you. It's kind of fun to really just get to know different people's cultures and how some cultures really have intermittent fasting as a stable part of their culture. Um, But here in America, we have kind of tended to become little grazers. So (laughs) I'd like to kind of know where did you come into this menopausal journey regarding your nutrition? Like, were you a grazer? Did you struggle with kind of controlling this eating window? How did you land on intermittent fasting?
0: Well, I'll go back to my passion for nutrition and fueling myself well. So Mm -hmm. I'm 58 now. And in my late 20s, I I remember being just in a general fog in my 20s. I don't know why, (laughs) but I woke up one day and specifically about Diet Coke. I had the thought, hmm, I don't think this is good for me. That was the thought. And from there, I cut out all ultra processed food. We didn't call it that then and refined sugar and soda. And what I did for what I remember of that, it's hard to remember back 30 years, right? and a self motivated change, I wanted to feel better. And I decided that all those foods were not food. So I put those foods into the category of not food for myself, and began to discern for myself, what foods actually make me feel well, and what foods don't. But ultra processed food, refined sugar, soda, and so forth, just fell into this category of not food. And I would no more eat it than eat the sofa cushion. It's <laughs> Just, just not an option. And so it's not like I demonize it because I do enjoy chocolate, a uh, homemade chocolate chip cookie, as you said, but I honestly can't remember the last time I ate one. If one was offered to me, I would decide, hmm, How well is this going to make me feel? It's all about feeling good. That is the whole game is feeling good. So I took really good care of myself nutrition wise for, for all those years in my thirties and forties and about age 44, I got the first experience of perimenopause and they don't send us to biology class for older women. So we don't figure out really what exactly is happening. We just know that we don't feel as well as we used to. And um, some of the symptoms of depression and brain fog and sleeplessness and so forth really hit me hard. I feel like if I go through a list of perimenopausal symptoms, I checked them all off and I bristle a bit when people, health experts, accuse women of having stronger perimenopause and menopause symptoms if they haven't been taking good care of themselves. Mm -hmm. Because I actually, was taking amazing care of myself for years. And I got hit with them all. So I'm I'm not interested in the blame game. I am interested in understanding how to feel better and how to turn it around. Yeah. So one night after I had been suffering from this 50 pound weight gain, so 44, I went into perimenopause. 49, which is early, I was, I hit menopause. I was postmenopausal after that, suddenly gained 50 pounds and suffered for four, four and a half years and heard about intermittent fasting one night, read about it, made perfect sense to me, and started that very same day. And so I, as I said, was cornered by many people who saw my success and how well I felt and said, Help us, help us. So, that's, Why did it make the sense journey. to you?
1: Because here's the deal. I do a lot of coaching and I hear a lot of limiting thoughts. And um, some of them around intermittent fasting are, what if it slows my metabolism down? Um, well, I don't want to feel restricted because then I think that I'm going to revert to my binging behavior. Mm. Uh, that's, a, that's a big one. Um, I've tried it before and it didn't work for me. And I think that we have a lot of misconceptions about what intermittent fasting is. And it's not a one size fits fits all approach, is it? You know, so what was it about intermittent fasting that really made you buy in and buy in hard? And then why do you think you saw results with it?
0: Oh, my gosh, there's so many good things that you said. So all those objections also of it'll slow my metabolism, and it'll be hard, I can't even remember everything. So what made sense for me was, well, first of all, I remembered back to being a teenager and how I never liked eating breakfast anyway. It actually made me feel unwell. I oftentimes was doubled over with a stomachache in the morning when I went to school because I ate breakfast. And so, if I was able to skip that, and um, I felt so much better. And then I remember also not being very hungry for lunch, and always eat, um, eating a big dinner with my family. So, um, the idea of eating when, when you're hungry and delaying eating and then eating well, uh, made sense to me. And the idea of keeping insulin low Mm -hmm. and tapping into our fat, like insulin is, is it has a lot of jobs, but one of its jobs is to store fat. (laughs) And when insulin is circulating at a high level, we're storing fat instead of burning it. And I'm like, Oh, how could I actually tap into? Cause fat was my issue. I mean, I had brain fog and memory loss and my equilibrium was off, but I thought fat was my big issue because I could see it and feel it differently than when I had in the past felt like I was a few pounds overweight. So fat burning was exciting to me. And so it made sense in terms of the linear path that our body utilizes the fuel on board. yeah this uses the food we just ate, it uses the glucose in the blood, it uses the stored glycogen and then yay, we tap into our fat stores. So I wanted to get to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that. And it made sense to me to delay my eating and eat in an eating window so that I could have that healing, rest and repair and fat burning time.
1: Yeah, That's absolutely. What where did you start with intermittent fasting? So how are you eating? You know, how you were postmenopausal kind of struggled with this for four years. What was your eating window like then? And then when you learned about fasting, how did you decide to start? And then how does it look different
0: now? Well, I always say also that I ate the exact same way when I was lean and fit in my early forties. than I, ate the exact same food when I gained 50 pounds and I ate the exact same food when I lost 50 pounds. And the only difference was menopause and then intermittent fasting. That's the only thing I did differently. Mm. So step one on that day one in early June of 2017 was to take everything out of my coffee. So drinking my coffee, black, taking everything out of my water, drinking my water plain. (laughs) And then shifting my first meal of the day, which included creamy coffee if I wanted that later, but I usually didn't. I kind of like black coffee. Um, Shifting my eating until later. So noon for me felt easy and it's different for everyone. Some people are like, no, I feel super hungry at 9 a.m. and that's when I'm going to eat. Great. You should do that then and have that be your eating window. Right. So but for me, you asked what I did. I delayed my eating until noon. I did rush right out to the health food store and bought all sorts of fancy detox teas and herbal teas because I thought if I'm gonna be fasting, I might as well have fancy tea. And I learned on my own through trial and error, every time I would have a cup of that fancy tea I got really hungry afterwards. I'm like, oh, I don't like that feeling. That tea is making me hungry. Well, little did I know that those teas rev up digestion and the body perceives them as food and aligns itself to receive food and then gets grumpy if you don't feed it. So one way to make fasting easier is to actually fast clean with plain water, plain bitter black coffee and plain bitter black or green tea without all those extra Herbs and sticks and leaves. That's fixing out, kind of
1: kind of stimulate that the digestion. Then
0: okay. that's right, and the body <laughs> is like, "Where's the food?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> Good trip. So then, how did that look? So twelve, and then when did you stop eating? Kind of when you were in this weight loss phase.
0: So right at the beginning, I decided twelve to eight, um, okay. but I happened to be home in Colorado where I grew up, visiting my mom, and. Right away, I realized eight was, we would eat dinner earlier and I was closing my eating window earlier, maybe 6.30 or seven. So then it was a seven hour eating window. And very quickly that just felt like it was just naturally too long. I could, I wasn't hungry at noon. I could wait till one. And so I moved to an 18.6. So you take the 24 hour day and chop it into the fasting hours and the eating window. And so I was fasting 18 hours with a six hour eating window, two meals in a six hour eating window. And then after about six weeks, someone challenged me to a 20 hour fast and the difference between 18 and 20 felt long, (laughs) but I knew I was ready for it. I was ready for the challenge. It didn't feel like a stress or a strain. It felt exciting. And I knew the amount of extra healing my, and fat burning my body would be in during, you know, from 18 to 20. And I took it on and that first time was a challenge. But then the thing about doing a 20 hour fast is, and going the distance for that and kind of having it be like a personal best is then, then the, pendulum kind of settles in after that, into what is your fasting sweet spot. So then you'll discover, no, I think a seven hour eating window feels better. It works better for my goals and my work schedule and my fitness and, or a four hour eating window or an eight or a six, like whatever people settle in at is personal based on your goals and your personality and what's important to you and how your day is structured. But for me, I felt pretty quickly that that four hour eating window was my absolute sweet spot. And right. the extra autophagy and fat burning and building up of the HGH hormone, the uh, human growth hormone um, was and building muscle and bone density was really appealing to me. So I got energized knowing about the health benefits that were happening when I was in a fasted state. And then I got energized looking forward to my eating window. Like it's exciting to eat delicious food. And mm-hmm. sometimes people think, oh, intermittent fasters must not love food or must not enjoy eating very much. No, 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 no. The opposite is true. We actually get interested in a higher quality food because our eating is in that eating window and it, gets extra special. So we get yeah. the best of both worlds, the healing and repair and the delicious uh entertainment and nourishment of eating really good food. It's the best of everything.
1: Do you still do the 20 hour fast 4 hour most days?
0: I do. And when um I remember having uh lunch with a friend with it was probably 4 months in. So I uh, to my intermittent fasting experience, and I was feeling so well, and I was eating in a four-hour eating window, but uh, she invited me to lunch. So it's so flexible. Instead of having my e- evening eating window, I just shifted that day for lunch and a snack, light dinner later. And um, she said to me, so when you reach your health goal, when you reach your weight goal, and you can fit back into your clothes that you like, that you want to fit into again. Well, then what are you going to do? And that was such a huge awakening moment for me because I realized in that moment that it was all about feeling good. It wasn't about doing this thing, like we're we're so in diet culture, we do this thing, we do it for a short amount of time and then we reach the goal and then we don't do that thing anymore. And this is not a thing. This is a way to live healthfully that had me feeling so good that I couldn't I couldn't imagine not doing it anymore. Why would I stop doing something that made me feel so well? And so what I said was, well, I don't know what my eating window will shift to if it does at that time, but I will always be a person who fast clean every day and eats later in an eating window. And so when in the um, early fall of 2018, I reached my goal, my weight goal and the clothing all fit again. It, it didn't even occur to me to change a thing, because I felt so well, it works with my life, I'm excited to eat later in my eating window, I eat delicious food, I feel amazing, I sleep well, I head, literally head to toe. I feel better. I used to have a cyst on my spine that disappeared. I had you know, little, little moles and dots on my face that disappeared. My hair grows in thicker and faster. I had debilitating plantar fasciitis that went away and hasn't come back. And so head to toe, I feel better. Didn't change a thing. I eat in a four hour eating window.
1: I love that. I, li- I really like to say it's wise to lose weight how you want to live the rest of your life. So, beautiful. Yes. Like, why are you trying to lose weight? Like, why don't we just try to build a healthy lifestyle and let your weight be what it will be, you know? And I think that there's this mindset shift of I have to try this diet and this diet and this program didn't work. So I'm going to try that program. And it's like, take a deep breath. Like what's the one next thing that you could change that's going to have the biggest return on your energy. And for me, I always, I do believe intermittent fasting is the biggest tool in your toolbox to, to reduce insulin resistance. So I love that you know I can have you on here and you can tell your personal story. And um, when we first hopped on here, you called me a menopause expert and I said, I don't think I can be a menopause expert until I've gone through menopause. And um, so I wanted to dig into menopause next because a lot of my women that listen um, are in perimenopause um, or postmenopause age range. and What are, what are, what do we not know? You know, you said they don't send you to biology class in perimenopause. So tell us some things that you had to kind of learn the hard way that you want everyone to know.
0: Thank you. So first of all, everybody should know the phases. Okay. So a younger woman in her teens and twenties and and probably in her thirties and early forties is premenopausal. Then when the shift, the hormonal shift begins, we're in perimenopause, as our period slows down and gets uh, infrequent, and then the flow is differently. So as our hormones are shifting and preparing to go into menopause, we are perimenopausal. And that can last for many years. In my case, it was five. And What's amazing to me is how many women will write, and I man, help manage some huge Facebook groups. Will will be afraid that they're, um, pe- they missed a period, and I'm like, "Well, wait, how how old are you?" And they'll say, "I'm 46." I'm like, "Of course, you missed a period. You're 46. You're in you're in perimenopause." And they're like, "I am. How do I know?" <laughs> okay, so <laughs> a woman should begin to know that in her early to mid 40s, there will begin to be some changes with with mood and sexual desires and just physically and mentally and cognitively that uh, and emotionally, we will start to experience changes. And I guess the most important thing I would say would be that we should feel free and open to say menopause and to talk about it with each other. And it shouldn't be this hush, hush thing, this secretive thing that we're embarrassed or afraid to discuss. And we can start connecting the dots. So if a woman is experiencing newfound autoimmune diseases and depression and, and feeling lethargic and gaining excess fat, that it is in all likelihood connected to this hormonal shift. And this is the time for us to take the very best care of ourselves. So up until this time, perhaps we would diet and exercise and eat good food in order to look our best, perhaps. This is the time to intermittent fast, make amazing food choices, sleep well, move our bodies, spend time in nature, spend quality reflection time in prayer and meditation and journaling for the purpose of feeling better and better and better. This is the time to take really good care of ourselves.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to recognize too, and I'm curious as to your perspective here, that if if we're if we're premenopausal, which is what I am, that our hormones shift throughout the month, right? PMS is real. Um, And so I think what I've started to do is fast a little bit more according to my cycle. Yes. And so tell me if this is what you've experienced too. But around the time of my cycle, I will lengthen my eating window because I'm naturally more hungry. And then I'll save kind of my longer fast. My baseline is about a 16, eight schedule. And then I really like to do one longer day a week, like 20 to 22 hour fast, just for a little bit more autophagy. And then that's kind of my baseline outside of my cycle window is that once, you know, one, that's my, that's what I do. But what have you found other women um, to have success with regarding intermittent fasting around their cycles? Like I am
0: totally aligned. I love what you're doing. I love that you generally have a 16, eight schedule and that you do one longer fast a week, it's amazing. It's either you can do it consistently like Sunday, Monday, or it could change depending on the flow of your week. And then the days or even the week before your period that you lengthen your eating window. I would add to that, that you lengthen your eating window and increase the quality of your food. So we tend to feel like, ah, I'm so hungry for fat and sugar. And so I, people find them women find themselves in the bottom of a and das pint more often those days before our period. And if we can shift the food to a higher quality, real whole foods, during that those days and and Mm we it it, you will actually feel better again the goal is feeling better and i love that you're increasing your eating window during during that time absolutely
1: and i i agree there's really there's free phone tracking apps that i use to track my cycle and so now i kind of know the few days before my period is supposed to come and if i'm having more carb cravings at least i can kind of justify why but also remind myself Hey, if you dig into those cookies, you're going to have worse cramps. You're going to have worse mood swings. Absolutely. Those are kind of my big symptoms that get worse. If I do a lot of sugar before my cycle starts, Is the the low back pain and then mood swings. I get a little moody, if you ask my husband.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that you're right on and, and that you're noticing how the ultra processed food and the refined sugar makes you feel worse and making note of that. And then, again, I don't demonize any food, I just want it, us to choose foods that make us feel better, not worse. So if you've made note of the fact that there are certain foods at certain times that make you feel terribly, don't have those. Right, <laughs> right. right. So
1: you're very right. Now, you had a really interesting, you know, kind of question on the sheet that we reviewed. And it's like, how do we heal? You see, you call it hormonal devastation. How do we heal from the hormonal devastation of menopause? We've talked about that, that your hormones change. Can you walk us through exactly how our hormones change during menopause and why that contributes to the symptoms that you are experiencing?
0: Well, we are all different. Uh, testosterone is also a hormone that we women have that is unpredictable for us. And then estrogen drops and progesterone is all over the map. It's amazing seeing graphic of a woman, a uh, premenopausal woman and her monthly cycle and how the hormones flow. It just looks like a beautiful metronome. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> for most women. And then um, the graphics of our hormones in perimenopause and menopause is they are literally spiraling all over the map and unpredictable. And that's why so many women in perimenopause are like, who am I? I don't even recognize myself. What, it, we don't feel like ourselves. And it is very hard to articulate what not feeling like yourself yeah. feels like, but it, it it's it's crazy making. And so the incredible um gift that eating in an eating window and fasting clean provides is that we are giving ourselves this rest, this hormonal rest and balancing for ghrelin and estrogen and progesterone and testosterone and cortisol and insulin to and all of our adrenal hormones to balance themselves. And they're a they're a network of, of communication of chemical communicators, and they all have their unique jobs, and they're all connected in a particular hierarchy. And when they're not working, we feel chaotic, we feel chaos. And when they are balanced and working, we feel well. And um, so even hot flashes are an example of estrogen being out of whack. And that is exacerbated by over-caffeinating and too much sugar and to end alcohol also. So if people are like, I'm having night sweats and and hot flashes, it's like, okay, that's to be expected at this age, but you wanna make it easier, you wanna get better, best clean, cut out the sugar, don't over-caffeinate and and reduce or eliminate alcohol. And that will definitely lower the hot flashes and have you feel better.
1: I've heard the alcohol thing for sure. Yeah. Um I had something that popped into my head while you were saying that. You know how weight regain is such an issue. I think we've both probably worked with a lot of yo-yo dieters and yeah. they feel like they've crashed their metabolism. And I just want to highlight you've kept your weight off for years because yeah. you did the methods that you're now living with. And so I think it's just really important to highlight if you're going to lose weight, don't do something that's so restrictive that you're going to regain it. And so I also think I know that women feel like they have burned their metabolism; they've slowed it down from the years of yo-yo dieting. They have, they have, and they they really have. And one thing that they might be fearful of is that intermittent fasting might slow their metabolism down. So, how do you address that concern that women might have that fasting might slow their metabolism?
0: Well, fasting actually repairs the metabolism and. I also want to, um, highlight the word that you said, so restrictive, right? So, but people out there might be thinking, well, intermittent fasting sounds restrictive <laughs> and yeah. the opposite is true. It's actually incredibly liberating because we feel so well yeah. and regarding the metabolism. So the body perceives the amount of available fuel and adjusts the metabolic rate accordingly. So if the body perceives a a famine, a low amount of food, it slows the metabolism. So that's what yo-yo dieting does for us is it slows the metabolism with intermittent fasting. Here's the magic. When you fast consistently every day and not stopping and starting and stopping and starting, because then you're going through the adjustment phase over and over and over again. Okay. So if you fast clean consistently, and you become fat adapted, which means anywhere between two and four weeks, your body of daily intermittent fasting, your body is now able to tap into your fat stores. It knows there's a lot there. It perceives and senses, okay. ah, basically unlimited fuel source here. Yay. Okay. So this is twofold. There are two factors here that are really important. So when we're fasting, the body perceives this nearly unlimited fuel source of body fat. Then when we're eating in the eating window, we're not dieting. We're not restricting our food because we're fasting and repairing the apostat in our brain and our hunger hormones are then balanced. And we can hear the communications of hunger and satiety in the eating window. We eat to satiety. We eat until hunger is gone. It's a very satisfying way to eat. And when hunger is gone, and we feel satisfied, we stop eating. So with the, um, with the fat burning, during fasting, and the eating to satiety, in the eating window, the body is like, oh, there's plenty of fuel, we're being fed well, and we're burning body fat. And because of this combination, this incredible dance of burning body fat and eating well to satiety, the body raises the metabolic rate, and that can take a bit of time for a yo-yo dieter to recover from. It's not just, you know, instantaneous. The body needs consistent reassurance that you're burning body fat every day while fasting and eating well in your eating window and slowly, but surely you'll be protecting your metabolism and the metabolism will go up.
1: I think that's it works. And it's important to say two to four weeks of consistency, you know? And so I think that, that those first two to four weeks, like when you have that high level of motivation, but you have to go into it with the expectation of you're going to encounter some challenges along the way, when you're starting this intermittent fasting lifestyle, What are some of the biggest challenges that you notice people experience in the first two to four weeks of shortening their eating
0: window? Well, this is why I have my job and I love it so much is that I get people inspired and informed on how to start. But the real challenge is to keep going and to be consistent and to remember what is so important to you. Why are you doing this in the first place? So some of the challenge, most of the challenges for people are mental. And Mm -hmm. the physical changes, excuse me, the physical challenges are few really which is surprising for people they're like that fasting sounds hard and scary and dangerous and within the first week people realize that it, it actually feels so well within three days for me the brain fog lifted and i felt more like myself i just got clearer and brighter and felt better and felt like myself in less than a week so some of the challenges that people experience are Uh, having to deal with understanding hunger feelings and realizing that hunger is not an emergency and knowing the difference between thoughts of food and a grumbly stomach and a hunger wave and other aspects which are rare could be shakiness and some ravenous feelings. And when that arises, you should eat. So this isn't, The fasting Olympics. There's no pressure. There's no failure if you decide to eat at 14 hours, but you were aiming for 15. Who cares? (laughs) You're giving yourself an incredible gift of healing when you're fasting. And the opportunity is to tune in, to lean in with curiosity, to have your motivation be feeling better. The motivation is feeling better. You can keep your eyes off the scale keep your eyes off the scoreboard as you're playing the game. And um, I really recommend that people actually put the scale away for the first Mm -hmm. month and have many other aspects, markers, things to measure on your scoreboard so that you're not fixating on the number on the scale. So some of the other uh things to measure could be you could take a picture of your face and take a picture every week and see how it's changing and how your eyes are getting brighter and your shape of your cheeks and chin and neck are changing. You can take full picture of your body. Um, it's nice to do that in clothing that's a little bit tight so you can see in the pictures how it's loosening up. You can measure your waist you can have gold clothing you can have a DEXA scan you can take your last lab work and see that your uh liver enzymes and your A1C and your HDL cholesterol and your triglycerides are all shifting and blood glucose. So there are a lot of ways to measure how you're doing, if it's working other than the scale. So to answer your question about how to make the first two to four weeks easier, it would be get your eyes off that scoreboard and focus on how you're feeling and get Mm -hmm. through those hunger waves and look forward to eating delicious food later. Yeah.
1: I, th- I think a lot of yo yo dieters have been conditioned to use the scale as a form of motivation or, mm. uh, or permission. So it's like, oh, the scale is down today, so I can be a little bit more lax. Or, oh, the scale is up, I really need to eat less today. And then I say, either way, you're changing your behavior for an arbitrary mo- a number that really doesn't mean much. And I completely agree with you that we really need to be mindful of our relationship with the scale. I say, everyone's kind of different. You know, some people it doesn't, it doesn't affect them. Some people it does, but recognizing the thoughts in your head. So for example, when someone's like, Oh, I, I've tried intermittent fasting. and I felt way too restricted. I can't do that. And I just did a coaching session with someone, you know, right before this. And she said, I can't several times throughout the session And I said, I can't is a limiting thought. And instead of saying, I can't, I want you to ask yourself, how can I? So if someone comes to me and they say, I can't intermittently fast, I say, first of all, you already are. You're fasting every night when you're sleeping. Second of all, how can you intermittently fast in a way that doesn't make you feel restricted? I think that they come into this with some preconceived notion. Like you said, it's the fasting Olympics um, and they're going to have extreme hunger and, you know, it's just not true. Like your ghrelin is a, is a hormone, your hunger hormone, and it pulses around your normal meal times. You know, there's a circadian rhythm to ghrelin too. And I think what's so interesting is each pulse gets smaller and smaller throughout the day, typically. So like okay. you, you're like, oh yeah, 20 hours felt really good to me. And when I do my day long fast, it's hardest at like nine or 10 in the morning when I normally have maybe like my first meal of the day. And it gets less and less throughout the day, and so I think if people have that expectation of okay, this is a hunger wave, it's probably going to pass. And I like to look at the clock too, and I like to say, oh, I wonder how long this one's going to last. And I almost always forget to look at the clock again because it. That's, that's right. right. That's right, so, <laughs> You know, I think we have to listen to our thoughts, and we have to say, it's my?" We don't have to believe every thought that comes into our head. I think that's very important to recognize, like. Just because you think something doesn't make it true. So for example, yesterday I was gonna exercise and then someone booked a call later in the afternoon. I'm not gonna exercise now. Um, and then I thought I thought to myself, Oh, I don't, I don't wanna exercise after the kids are in bed, I'm gonna be tired. And I thought, you don't have to believe that that thought, Morgan. Why don't you just tell yourself something different? And so I did. I I told myself, I'm excited to exercise tonight. I'm going to do a little workout and it's going to be fun and it's going to feel great. And lo and behold, I did that little exercise routine and it was fun and it felt great. But it all started because I recognized there was nonsense going on in my head. And that I was telling myself something that I don't have to tell myself. And I think that catching those limiting thoughts and changing them and giving our brain different instructions can really, really be helpful To make ourselves do something that we don't initially wanna do. So I I think think, that, I don't know, that's just a recent example.
0: Well, I'm gonna circle it back to what you said though. So a limiting thought would be that I can't do intermittent fasting because it's too restrictive, as you said at the top. Well, Mm -hmm. what's restrictive about it? I would get really curious. So if someone says that, What is actually restrictive about that would be like saying sleep is restrictive because I'm missing out on my life. (laughs) No, no, sleep is imperative. Fasting is also we just didn't know it. So imagine the amount of healing that's happening when you're sleeping. Imagine the amount of healing that's happening when you're fasting. What intermittent fasters realize is that we are much more productive when we're in a fasted state we're clear we're productive we're alert we're awake and so it it's just the benefits are endless and so what is actually restrictive about it especially when you get to move your eating window around based on when yeah. you say you want to eat so mm-hmm. I just I would get very curious about what people think is restrictive. And um, let's figure out together how a person could eat in an eating window and fast clean every day and have and not have the experience of it being stressful strain. You know, I always listen for where's the struggle, stress, or strain, or where do people feel deprived or restricted? And let's just not have it be that. Let's figure yeah, it right. out let's dig into
1: that. Yeah, um, I think one of them that I caught this week in office hours with one of my members was, um, she was like, oh, I need to get back on tracking. And I, I'm a big fan of tracking macros. I think it's helpful and it helps, it helps keep me on track. And I do it like maybe four or five days a week and I don't do it every week. And I, cause sometimes I just want to break. And I said to her, I said, what does all in look like for you? Right. Mm-hmm. So said, Struggle, stress or strain? She's like, She's like, I feel like I have to be all or nothing. And I'm like, no, it's like, what does that mean to you? Like tracking everything that you eat, tracking every day, who wants to do that? Like nobody probably in their right mind actually wants to do that. And so I all, I offered a, an alternative here. And I think this would work really well for people that are struggling with that mindset of intermittent fasting is restrictive. I can't do it. It's like be all in with what you choose to be all in with. What do you want to do track two days a week? Fine. Go in all, go all in on that commitment to yourself to track two days a week. So for people, if they have a history of binge eating, for example, go all in on a 12 hour fast, that is completely fine. You know, that is a a much better than snacking till 10 or 11 at night and having an eight hour fast. So I think that there's always a way to optimize. And whenever someone comes at me with a limiting thought, what did you say? A stress, strain, or struggle. Yeah, I'm
0: always listening for stress, struggle, and strain and listening for ways that I can root it out so people feel and experience a peace of mind and joy and and freedom. You know, our ancestors, I mean, human beings lived and thrived and survived because there was not food available all the time. So w- somehow we've been tricked into believing that we're supposed to eat all the time. And we have an abundance of food and arms, like the way, which has actually led to our health issues. Having an abundance of food is making us sicker and sicker and more obese. So let's give our digestion a rest and balance our hormones and give ourselves the opportunity to heal every day and feel so much better and then enjoy our food later. It's just a total win.
1: I like it too. Cause it, like on my, I call them exception days. I hate the word cheat because me cheat too. I bad. never say cheat. I'm not cheating. <laughs> yes, no, We're not cheating. This isn't
0: a test. This is just your life
1: here Get um, to eat
0: whatever I want, what I'm choosing to eat.
1: Yes, and so on my exception days, I try to have one. I intentionally have one a week. You know, it's very much in my personality to want to be a perfectionist. I have to strongly work against that, and um, I love it. You know, that's like my cookie day. That's my holiday. That's my birthday. That's when I actually have something that I don't have as my baseline in my in my meal plan. And then I like to fast. I like to do my longer day, like my longer fast after that exception day because it allows my body the time to kind of utilize the extra nutrients that's available. And because I'm fat adapted, it's so much easier. And so I feel like some people might have that mindset of like, Oh, I have the cookie. I had the cake. I blew it. I have to start again on Monday. And I think that that start again is another or start over is another limiting thought that a lot of people have, it's like, no, it's just Monday and there's nothing magical about Monday.
0: No. Well, that, that idea of it being punitive is just so demoralizing and we have been dunked immersed in. even if people are like, Oh, I'm not a dieter. You know, we, no matter who you are on this planet, or at least in our, in the U S you, we have been immersed in diet, speak diet, language, diet, culture, diet, brain, and we're so punitive. So about food and it's, all about being good. You know, if someone offers you a cookie and you say, no, thank you. People immediately say, oh, are you trying to be good? Or I have to be good. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is not about being good. This is about feeling good. You don't even need to have cake on your birthday if it doesn't make you feel well. So you get to say, and I'm always inviting and encouraging people to distinguish between that diet, those diet thoughts, which are punitive and all about being good and shifting to the idea of making choices and doing things that have me feel my best. And we can say, I'm not choosing to eat that because it makes me feel awful, but go right ahead, please enjoy.
1: So I think what you said there is kind of really wise. And you said, it's not about being good. It's about feeling good. Yes. And I don't know about you, but I studied marketing and I know that you had the marketing background. And so whenever I hear a phrase like that, I'm like, oh, she should run with that. It's not about being good. It's about feeling good. So if I were you, I would like, say yep, that's
0: right. one of my, that's one of my things that I say, yeah.
1: <laughs> Just like, I'm like live a low insulin lifestyle. Yours is like, it's not about being good. It's about feeling good. And if
0: you and say those me. things enough over and over and over, if I say it enough, then my clients start hearing my voice in their head and they're more successful. (laughs) I'm going to say
1: that, you know, because peer pressure is a real thing. And I think when people are trying to become a healthier version of themselves, for whatever reason, it plays mind tricks on their loved ones. And their loved ones are like, oh, but it's the weekend. You can have this. Oh, but you've been, you've been really good all week. You know, let's just have a fun night. Oh, but I don't want to eat this alone. You know, and it's really tough if you're in that position and your loved one is food peer pressuring you. And it is really nice to have something positive to respond with. Just like you said, it's not that, you know, I'm not trying to just be good. I'm trying to feel good. And hey, I'm trying to feel good for you so that I can be healthier down the road. So give me a break. You know, do you have any other suggestions on how we can deal with food peer pressure? during our fasting window? Cause I think that would probably come up quite a bit for you. If you only have a four hour eating window.
0: Yeah. I, I don't even think about it anymore. And there are some days when I'll get, I'll have hunger feelings or thoughts of food, maybe at 15 or 16 hours. And at that point I just realized, oh, my body's shifting fuel sources. That's why I had thoughts of food, but I also can eat if I feel like it. So I'll have a conversation with myself like, Oh, am I actually hungry? Maybe I'll eat an early meal today? Do I want to do that? You know, and it's just so forgiving and so flexible. And um, I just want people to know that it is a choice of feeling good. So that that food, that peer pressure, you know, a lot of times people say, um, we deserve a treat. It's like, but because I'm fasting clean consistently, and my body is now able to show me the foods that make me not feel well, and the foods that make me feel well. And then I have a complete disinterest and unwillingness to feel awful. It just gets easier to say to people, no, thank you. You don't even need a reason. You're just not eating that now. It literally takes no willpower. So I have client, a client who just went on vacation and she was really excited to go to the shore and have the fried clams and ice cream and pizza that she always has. Like, of course it's vacation. Have what makes you happy. Always have what makes you happy. Except she got there on vacation and she's walking on the boardwalk, looking at all the places and how it, what it feels like are the thoughts of "Mm, not that. Not that. Imagine looking at a menu and going, "Mm, not you just not interested, not interested, not interested. And your body will tell you what it is interested in or what it isn't interested in anymore. And after practicing intermittent fasting for a while and eating in an eating window, we just have a heightened discernment and a clearer indication and a strong desire to eat foods that make us feel well. And it doesn't take much willpower. It's just very easy to say, I'm not interested in that. And then I guess other people feel badly. I, I don't know. I, I just get to choose what makes me feel good. And I strongly avoid things that make me not feel well. And, and the, the list doesn't match any diet plan, right? There's no one book, one list, one plan, one program that suits everyone. We're all bio individual. And even if I were to find a diet plan that very closely matched, you know, there, I I actually don't eat meat. I have, I've been a vegetarian for over 20 years, but I'm the weirdest vegetarian because I don't eat soy. I don't eat black beans. There's a long list of things that I don't eat, not because I think they're bad for me, But but because they actually don't make me feel well, I get achy joints, or my gut hurts, or I don't eat many nuts, because my belly doesn't digest them well. So I have gotten really good, especially in the last four years of discerning the foods that make me feel amazing and the foods that don't. And I have no interest in eating the foods that make me feel unwell.
1: I think part of the the physiology behind that is if you're a grazer, you're usually grazing on some, some food with carbs. So your blood sugar is constantly going up and then it comes down. And then you want to eat again because you're having that blood sugar dip. Whereas when you're fasting, you're really relying on your body to regulate the blood sugar um that that's already exists within the fuel, like right? the glycogen and the fat stores. And so it stays so much more stable when we're fasting. Yeah versus constantly grazing throughout the day. And then your body wants more carbs, essentially carbs, be you get carbs, I like to say. Well,
0: um, and we don't have those afternoon crashes. You know, I think most people- That's so I true. Have, I have my new clients tracking their energy, and we start by saying, okay, when the alarm goes off in the morning, whatever time that is for you, start tracking hour by hour, your energy levels, and notice these extreme swings that are caused by eating and not eating and eating and not eating. And as intermittent fasters, when we become fat adapted, and we're using our own body fat for fuel, we just have this even energy. And typically past 18 hours, people can get a strong hunger wave right before right around 18 hours. And if you can make it over that hump, autophagy and fat burning and HGH production dramatically shoot up. So there's this, there can be even an increase. Some people think it's a burst of energy, but it's an increase of clarity, like a brightening of uh, energy after 18 hours is amazing. But that doesn't mean everybody should fast longer than 18 hours. Some people are like, no, I'm That's super hours, happy with my 15. Great, do that. People, It's been proven that if people do a 12-12 schedule circadian cycle, that um, of a 12-hour fast and a 12-hour eating window, that you'll increase longevity. So to the people who say, oh, I don't think it's for everyone. It's like, yes other than pregnant women and breastfeeding women and adole- you know, children and adolescents, everybody else can be a cognizant of when are you fasting? When are you closing your eating window, sleeping, wake up tomorrow, have a big glass of water, have a black coffee. And what time are you breaking your fast and opening your eating window? And everybody can at least do 12, 12 for sure. Yeah.
1: I think it makes you more intentional, you know, when you have mm-hmm. a hard stop time on your nighttime eating, it makes you think twice before you go get the nighttime snack. That was like the first benefit that I noticed when I started to really cut off my eating time. After dinner, I really try not to snack, maybe like by six thirty, seven, 30, mm-hmm. um, And then, then I know, hey, if you're eating after that time, you're emotionally eating and you need to use some emotional eating strategies to kind of rein it in. And um, but then real quick, I have one more question. I just wanted to touch on one piece, piece of advice I give to people for food pushers. is like, you know what? You're not responsible for their emotions. If you not eating something makes them uncomfortable, that's not your responsibility. So I think that that's just something that I find helpful to myself to realize their opinion of me is none of my business and I am not responsible for their emotions right now. I Absolutely. Think help people get through that little wave of discomfort when they have to, or when they choose to say no to a meal or a snack or something like that. But to wrap up this interview, I wanted to, you have three tips, right? Three tips on how to get started with intermittent fasting for people who found this interesting. What would you tell newbies to intermittent fasting?
0: Well, I, I think that the clean fast makes it much easier and puts the body into a higher state of repair. So, I'll review. So, fasting clean is plain unflavored water. So, no hint of watermelon or squeeze of cucumber or lemon. So, plain water, plain black coffee, unflavored, and make sure it's nice, bitter coffee, plain bitter black or green tea, and plain unflavored electrolytes or minerals like magnesium and sodium. And then, of course, your medications as prescribed. So don't change that. Um, Follow your doctors and pharmacists orders. So fast, clean 100%. Then the easiest way to start is to decide today. And I actually mean today to you out there listening, (laughs) decide today what time you're closing your eating window and stop eating then. And don't eat for future hunger maybe 15, 30 minutes before you're going to close your eating window. Think what, you know, am I still hungry? What does my body need right now? But don't stuff yourself for, you know, don't eat for future hunger. Your body has plenty of fuel on board already to help you last the next 12 hours. Okay. So drink plain water, sleep well, wake up tomorrow, drink a glass of plain water, have a cup of black coffee, and open your eating window at the time you decide. And then my tip regarding the eating window is if it's 12 hours or 10 or eight, decide how many meals you're gonna eat, know what delicious food you're gonna eat. One of the, the challenges for new fasters is uh, being caught off guard without good food on hand. So you do wanna know so that what you're looking forward to eating that's delicious and nutritious and makes you feel amazing. And practice eating to satiety until hunger is gone until you're satisfied and then pause a few hours and then eat again and pause a few hours and eat again we do not need to be eating all the time and the the research shows that when we pause in between meals that allows for insulin to come back down And then if we're pausing in between those meals, insulin can get even lower during the fasting hours, which is really helpful to get into fat burning. So we're giving ourselves a gift to fast, clean and then eat and then pause and then eat and then pause and just enjoy extending those fasting hours. Gradually. I, I recommend that people work up to 16 hours, maybe between seven and 10 days and see how you feel. Yeah, see how you see
1: it. just jumping
0: into it. Some people are the rip the bandaid off types. And I don't know, I believe in the old adage that uh, it isn't always so sustainable to rush right out of the gates. So yeah. we want this to be gentle. We want you to feel well. We want this to be um, a healthful, sustainable practice. That sustainable. As,
1: yeah. Sure. Yeah. And just for the record, I have not made it to clean fast state yet. I still love half and half in my coffee. And you guys, I still get benefits too. So don't let that yeah. be an excuse. Well, I don't want to give up my half and half. Well, then just have half and half in your coffee. If you're not ready to go there yet, it's okay. As Lori said, that will probably make the fat adaption easier. Um, but for whatever reason, I haven't done that. I
0: haven't got oh, there Oh, I yet. get I it. I- so I just motivated myself by realizing that I didn't want those nutrients to get it. I want all the benefits of fasting. I want them all. Right? So I didn't want those nutrients to get in the way of the deep cellular repair. And then I also loved, um, I don't know if you know who Jen Stevens is. She wrote delay, don't deny. And uh, also a New York Times bestseller called Fast Feast Repeat. And she always says- wait, why would I put cream or MCT oil in my or butter in my coffee? People are like, oh, that fat in my coffee gives me a nice sustained energy. It's like, wait, why would I want to burn the fat in my coffee cup? when I could be burning the fat on my belly. It's like mm-hmm. the fat on my belly also gives me a nice sustained energy <laughs> all and lasts me all morning while I'm burning my own body fat as opposed to the fat in my coffee cup. So mm-hmm. I am a big, I beat that drum of that clean fast because I it think actually that's good. makes it easier. Yeah. I'm
1: all for that, I just need <laughs> to do it. And there's no excuse about it. Besides the fact I don't really like the flavor of black coffee and to me, I think that it's because of my age. And I think I'm saying, oh, you can still get away with a little less autophagy, you know. Oh,
0: uh, yes, Dr. Morgan, good. All right. That's so, the
1: excuse going on in my head.
0: Well, sure. people definitely need to look at their goals. We need to look at our age and all your health goals and weight goals. And I really encourage people to, 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 uh, fast, clean, and you will feel better and you can I have will. the creamy coffee or later. More. Have it later. Yeah, and that's
1: it. yeah, you can have it later. I, I I need to just do it at least like one day a week, right? Just start. And like absolutely. I said, I can't do this. How could I do this? And could I do this one day a week? Yes, I
0: could. So you'll be inspired to know also that our taste buds totally regenerate themselves in two weeks. So mm-hmm. if you can stand it, you can stand the bitterness of the black coffee for two weeks when that 14 ish, approximately days are over, your new taste buds won't find it so horrible.
1: (laughs) And I can still have it in my eating window. So here's my commitment to you and everyone else listening in the ether, starting today until Halloween. So we're doing more than two weeks, right? I told you I'm an overachiever. Clean fasting, I can have half and half in my coffee, during Later morning,
0: in your so. eating. Yep. Okay.
1: I commit that to you. Oh, and I'm so proud of you. I'm, I'm excited. so excited.
0: You have to tell me how you right? feel.
1: <laughs> I will 1% better every day. That's what we always preach. This is my 1%. Get into
0: oh, you're such an inspiration. Thank you for doing that.
1: Thanks so much for coming on today. Tell our listeners where they can learn more about you.
0: Well, I love coaching people one-on-one and in my group programs. And my business is called Fast Forward. So it's fastforwardwellness.com. Thank you. And people can read about intermittent fasting and how to start and download a free guide. And I just love taking people who feel exasperated, a bit discouraged and demoralized and shifting everyone to being confident and flourishing and free. And that's the focus of all my coaching. So yeah,
1: thank you. And for if someone's listening or watching, you haven't subscribed to this podcast or YouTube channel, definitely take a moment and do that to help support this content. I will be sure to link up all of those resources that Lori mentioned in the show notes for today's episode. And I will talk to you all at the same time, same place next week. Thanks for listening to the Reshape Your Health podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and don't forget to tell a friend. To learn more and connect online, check out the links in the show notes.